Someone to tell them what to do. Me? I can't. Why can't you? Because I'm not a leader. And yet they all treat you like one. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome back to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 105, entitled White Rabbit. And it certainly is an episode that I just can't wait to get into. It was so much fun to rewatch, uh, particularly in light of, you know, all that we know now that the series is over, uh, which is the basic uh, conceit of this podcast. So with that, let's get into the uh, summary of the episode from Wikipedia. The flashbacks start with a young Jack and a friend that are being beaten up. One bully gives Jack a chance to leave, but he decides to help his companion, causing him to be further assaulted. When Jack's father sees his son's beaten face, he tells Jack he shouldn't be a hero because, quote, he doesn't have what it takes. Many years later, Jack's mother tells him that his father has left for Australia. She wants him to bring his father back, and Jack reluctantly agrees. Jack flies to Australia while searching the hotel at which his father was staying. There, his manager informs Jack that his father has not slept in the hotel for several days following an incident at the bar. Jack is shown to the morgue, where the coroner tells Jack that his father died of alcohol poisoning. Jack identifies the body and prepares to fly his father's body back home. While at the airport, the airline refuses to put his father's body on the plane because he does not have the proper documentation. On the island, one of the crash survivors is drowning in the ocean. Boone swims out but can't reach her, and Jack rescues Boone. Jack is distraught that he has failed to save her and sees the mysterious man in the suit again. Hurley and Charlie want Jack to decide how to handle the lack of water. On the island, Jack once more sees the man in the suit and chases him. He catches up to him and discovers that it's his father. Frightened, he calls out Dad to the man, who silently turns and walks away. Jack deliriously stumbles through the jungle, looking for his father. On the island, Jack falls off a precipice while running after his, quote, father. He hangs onto a branch, but cannot climb up. Fortunately, Locke appears to help him. Locke tells Jack that the others need a leader, and it should be Jack. Jack reveals that his father is a hallucination, and Locke claims that the island is special, and everything happens on it for a reason. He says that he has looked into the eye of the island and what he saw was beautiful. They split up with Locke looking for water and Jack following his hallucination. That night, Jack discovers caves with an abundance of fresh water. More wreckage from the plane is in the caves, including a coffin. Jack opens the coffin to find it empty and angrily destroys it. Jack appears and tells everyone about the caves, telling them that they need to work together, introducing the show's well-known phrase, live together die alone. And with that, let's move on to some of my thoughts about the episode. Uh, again, it's just a, uh, a fabulous episode, especially on this uh, repeat viewing, this viewing after the, the run of the series. Um, there are things in this 
episode, particularly with uh, Jack's father, who of course really is the the smoke monster. You know things that we didn't know and didn't know for so so long, and um, just a fantastic episode to look back on. With that enough introduction, let's uh, properly talk about the episode. Naturally, of course, it opens up with uh, the iconic eye shot, uh, this time on young Jack. As a side note, I had to wonder why the bully who's talking to Jack looks like a mix of the bully from Christmas Story and the Shermanator from American Pie. No kind of real deep literary analysis there, just it particularly struck me. Um, Also, I know that I complain a lot that the openings to these episodes are gimmicky. Usually that's because one character or another is rehashing the plot in a contrived way. But on top of that, it does strike me as a tad gimmicky that Jack, in going to try to save the drowning woman, accidentally rescues the drowning boon. Yes, I know it's setting up this idea of tough choices, but it did kind of seem to be, once again, the hand of the writer showing up in in the first act. Um, That said, in this um, pre-credit sequence to the episode... There's just this wonderful, great the closing shot to the pre-credit sequence. Hammer cranes up to show the fairly calm surf, not even calm surf, the extremely calm surf. It's this wonderful greenish blue. There's uh, kind of bits of coral and rock and whatnot beneath it. It just looks wonderful. I've had the pleasure of being in the South Pacific. Uh, I've been to Tahiti. Obviously, the show was shot in Hawaii, but you know, my goodness, the South Pacific never looked so beautiful. Uh, you know, as it did in that uh, in that pre-credit sequence. Um, also, I found it slightly odd that here we have Jack, the professional surgeon, um, and he's apologizing for not being able to save someone's life. According to all that I know about surgeons in the medical field, which granted comes from ER, Grey's Anatomy, MASH, shows like that, um, as a surgeon, sometimes you hold them and sometimes you fold them. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. The episode description rightfully calls it Jack being distraught over the fact that this woman had died, a woman that he didn't know, someone who clearly was not swimming carefully, got pulled out by the riptide. It, it, this happens. Lives are lost. And, and to me, it's just a bit unrealistic the degree to which Jack internalizes this. Anyhow, uh, moving on, there's more in this episode for from the Michael is not a great dad department. Uh, He's instructing Walt to not swallow the ocean water. Walt naturally enough asks why. Uh, Michael's response to why is something along the lines of, well, just do do as I say, I'm your father. Would it really have taken him so much time to say, ocean water has salt, that'll make you more thirsty, not less. Sorry, Michael, you know, way to go. I hope you get blown up. Oh, that's right, you do. So that works out well. Um, At this point, you've probably heard me blathering on a bit too much. So let's get to the first clip of the episode. Have you got it or what? You're in my light sticks. Light sticks? What the hell is that? Light, comma, sticks. As in those legs of yours. Look, well, I really love my new nickname and I think it's really sweet. Calm down. Got your damn stuff. It'll keep off sand, please? You bet. Even has valor. How much? Your money's no good here. Then what the hell do you want? If you really think I... Five grand. 
I know before this episode, Sawyer has given a few nicknames before, but to my mind, this feels like the start of the trend, the start of Sawyer giving those wonderful nicknames that are simultaneously thoughtful and inappropriate and just absolutely fantastic. Um, Furthermore, it's just such a wonderful moment of the Sawyer character. He's absolutely charming as that lovable rogue and pulls off those loaded lines so wonderfully. You know, it's flirty and it's negotiating. It's absolutely fantastic. Moving on from that wonderful Sawyer moment, um, this first act of the episode also features more of Jack the Jerk. He's irritated when Hurley comes to him with a problem. The problem, of course, is that they are running out of water, the the number one thing that you can't live without. Um, And then he snaps at uh, Hurley and Charlie when they look to him for a plan. They're saying, we need a plan, we need help. His response, I don't know. To me, it's completely irritating. I've talked a number of uh, times on previous episodes of the podcast. The fact that in season six, Jack ends up not being the long-term protector of the island, to me, is fitting, and you're seeing why from these first couple episodes forward, irrespective of some of the mistakes that he makes later on, uh, trusting the freighter people uh, comes uh, to prominent uh, prominently to mind, but he's not a great leader. He's not a great decision maker. He just somehow is the one that we pick, even though it, he's not the best one out there. If that's another uh, allusion to leadership in the post 9-11 era, the, I don't know how political the show, or I don't know how politically informed the show was uh, during its run, and maybe that's, to be fair, maybe that's reading a bit too much. And if, if I'm being uh, uh, a bit too vague on the, on the notion, I guess I'm, in my mind I'm drawing a connection perhaps between Jack and President Bush as not the best leader of all. Again, maybe I'm going on too far, far a tangent here. Or I'm really seeing things that the writers haven't put in place. But to bring it back to the show completely, Jack is not an effective leader. In these early episodes, you can see by his crankiness, by him snapping. Sure, he'll come at the end and give the great speech, but he simply is not a reliable leader. And it's not just me saying this. Others are starting to pick up on this tune, uh, too, uh, <laughs> tune, too, like, for example, Boone in this clip. You should have saved her, but I didn't save her. And neither did you. You think you're all noble and heroic for coming after me? I was fine! You're not the only one who knows what to do around her, you know that? I run a business! Who appointed you our savior, huh? What gives you the right? Look at me! Hey, I'm talking to you! I'm telling you, I know that there are definitely, absolutely Jack fans out there listening... Jack is not a great leader. He's not a great leader from these early episodes. He's not a great leader in the middle episodes. He's not a great leader in the final episodes. I mean, he gets the job done, but he certainly isn't the kind of guy you want long term. Anyhow, moving on again. This podcast has one central idea, to look at Lost from the point of view of the series being over. Take everything that we know and see how it works from the start, from the very start. This episode, in a lot of ways, is the first step in that notion of the podcast. At the start of this episode, we had absolutely no idea about the monster being made of smoke. Uh, This being, of course, the first time that we ever 
saw the episode back in 2004. We had no idea about the monster being made of smoke. We had no idea that it could take the forms of people. Simply put, we had no idea that when Jack comes across his father, it isn't a delusion brought on by lack of sleep and water, which is suggested heavily in the episode. We had no idea that it is the smoke monster, period. It's smoking, manipulating him and leading him toward the caves. It's the very caves which we'll find out in the next episode have the bodies of Adam and Eve. which will, It'll only take another hundred episodes to find out. That's the resting place of Jacob's twin and their adopted mother. This is a key, key episode to the mythology of the series as a whole. And it doesn't come across as that. That's almost the genius of this episode. We've talked before, too. How much did the producers know ahead of time? What was the master plan? Perhaps they didn't, ha- didn't have every little last bit planned out. I mean, that, that much certainly is obvious by, by everything that's out there. But this is a key, key episode to the story that we have, the 121 or so episodes. This is such a key episode. So much is there. You sit and watch it with the knowledge of the show and just absolutely so much is there. And does it hold up? It 100% holds up. Nothing in this episode runs contrary to the larger mythology of the show. And it's just such a credit to the show that five episodes in, you can have an episode that is supported by all the better, stronger details that come later on. Um, Something else that this episode features in a slightly different way, which some people from what I've read online think does not hold up well, this episode has some strange music and even strange by lost standards. Take a listen. I don't know. I kind of dig it. I really do. It comes off as a little synthesizer which I'm sure it is. Uh, it comes off as, I don't know, that kind of kind of blur of sound. It just sounds like some synthesizer, synthesizer keys pushed down. It's not the classiest thing in the world, but then that kind of percussion, kind of cutting in, it just, it just somehow works for me. Um, it, it has this, particularly in this episode where Jack is unsure of what he's seeing there's just this kind of wonderful kind of blurry vague effervescent quality to the to the music that i think suits suits the episode perfectly um this episode also shows an evolution of the flashback device you know we've talked in previous episodes about how they don't quite have the whoosh down or they're not quite sure on how to communicate this flashback thing to everyone at home but it's starting to settle down here, particularly how it's used in the back and forth between On Island and Flashback. For example, from the clip that you just heard with the music, 
That's when Jack is chasing what he presumes to be his father on the island. He stops, and then the flashback takes him to show him looking for his father in Australia. The flashback ends with Jack saying, where are you? Which returns Jack to uh, the jungle resuming his search. So it's this wonderful back and forth with where the two flashbacks are, uh, are, are talking. Uh, furthermore, in that search, Jack falls. He's hanging at the end of the, of the cliff. It's very, very, very interesting that it is Locke who saves him. Not only is Locke the one that obviously Jack goes head-to-head with in, in this and future seasons, but of course it's Smokey in the appearance of Locke that Jack will battle and ultimately kill. To put it a bit more succinctly, Jack goes into the forest after the smoke monster, even though he doesn't know it, and he ends up finding it, or at least what the smoke monster will become. It's just, here we are, the, the, the appearance of Locke, albeit with the spirit of Locke, rescuing him to be somebody who he's going to be in conflict with for the rest of the show in one form or another, literally. They're in the, in the internally as Locke or internally as a smoke monster, but always externally as Smokey. Um, just uh, this episode has felt like it comes so alive, particularly for the, this conceit of the podcast to look back and to, to be seeing how these uh, echoes of future episodes reverberate backward. What is the master plan? It just, it's such a wonderful, wonderful episode for that purpose. Um, another example, and I don't know how much of this was planned. I would assume certainly at this point they knew uh, a general, they had a general understanding of Sun and her backstory. I mean, heck, it's the next episode. They must have had some notion. Similarly with Saeed. Um, but take a listen to this clip and then we'll talk more. Uh, the Chinese people have water. Where did you get this? Where did you get this? Where did you she get... She doesn't understand She understands you, me. Did you steal this water? Fantastic, just how uh, dismissive Saeed is of this notion. You know, she understands me. And of course she understands. It's... Uh, everything that Saeed says is 100% right. Saeed the interrogator, which is a story that hasn't been told yet, is identifying son who speaks English, which we don't know yet either. It absolutely is there on purpose. Their stories aren't that that far off. Their flashback stories individually. Boy, does it work though. Boys, it's one of those moments saying, you know what? We have a plan to the show. We have an absolute plan. And speaking of plans, there's also a discussion of one of the central tenets of the show a bit later on. And uh, thusly comes our next clip. But this place is different, special. The others don't want to talk about it because it scares them. But we all know it. We all feel it. Is your white rabbit a hallucination? Probably. But what if everything that happened here happened for a reason? What if this person that you're chasing is really here? That's impossible. Even if it is, let's say it's not. And what happens when I catch him? I don't know. But I've looked into the eye of this island. 
was beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful line. Not just because of its own iconic status and whatnot, but the irony. The irony that what Jack is chasing is the very same thing that Locke has said that he's looked into. They're talking about the same force, and they're both so wrong about it. It, it, and you know I mean, I've talked about Jack being wrong here's another example of Locke being wrong there's so many things to debate over and lost there's definitely wiggle room but Smokey aka the monster aka the island, eye of the island it is not a beautiful thing he is dark he is angry he is evil he is vindictive he is hurtful he is sadistic and Locke has it wrong it is not this beautiful thing that he has seen Locke you know a la John the Baptist part of his uh, supposed namesake is a, you know, is a false prophet he's not the one to follow Jack is not the one to follow it's Hurley who's sitting back at camp uh, underappreciated uh, but I mean boy does that scene that scene certainly works on a lot of levels including <laughs> including what's wrong about it I don't mean to be a downer but uh the things that, the things that are uh, ultimately incorrect about it, to my mind, also make it what uh, what works as well. Moving on, on the topic of seeing the writer's hand, this is an episode that has greatly improved on that idea. Just as food and water were the things that the show needed to address early on, it would appear on first viewing of this episode that, among other things, they're checking off the need for survivors to have water, and that the writers fulfill that need. You know, water's running out. They find the the springs. Problem solved. You do need to have some realistic uh, things attended to, even in some cursory way. Food being caught, that or that sort of thing. You need to address it on some basic level, so we as viewers can file it away and say, "Fine, they have water, they have food. Let's move on to more interesting things." Now, as I said, it appears in this episode that they're, that they're just saying, "Okay, check. We've covered the water aspect." In actuality. We now know that Smokey was leading Jack to the water, perhaps to plant a seed in him for later use uh, in an attempt to continue that 2,000-year battle with Jacob. This episode also features the non-body of Christian Shepherd, specifically that Jack sees no body after apparently hallucinating the sight of his father. It's not explicitly covered in the show, but we certainly can, when I say show, I mean the series as a whole, we can certainly surmise in the series as a whole that when Smokey takes the form of someone in order to, to deceive those around him, a la Smokey taking the form of Christian, he probably disposes of the body or hides it somehow so that what, a Jack, what Jack attempts to do doesn't happen. To find the body, you know, the guy you're seeing isn't real, and the, the, the surprise being spoiled. Just like in later episodes, we find out that the quote-unquote reborn John Locke isn't reborn at all, that his body is still in the coffin. They're saving that trick for later on, intentionally or not. They're saving that trick for later on. And in this episode, we just have the the mystery of it. Well, how did we see him? He was dead. He clearly was dead. Let's not forget how well constructed this episode is. There's no question that Christian is dead, that he is in the morgue in Sydney on a slab. The, 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 the coroner, as a doctor, Jack as a doctor, both saying this guy is dead, period, finito, over. But here he is alive, quote unquote. It's a wonderful 
shell game that the that that the show plays on us to you know is it ghosts is it re uh reanimation etc cetera, etc cetera. no one in 2004 was saying this is a doppelganger this is a fake it's 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 wonderful it's high but but it that's just it it's hiding it out there in the open he was dead there's no question to that there just by virtue of the fact that there is no body shown to us we jump in all these directions to fill in the blanks a certain way that the guy that we see is the guy that we think when in fact that's part of the ruse that's part of of smoky's uh of smoky's trick um Heading toward the end of uh, my thoughts on this episode, there's uh, the big message moment in the show, and uh, let's take a listen. We can't do this. Every man for himself is not going to work. It's time to start organizing. We need to figure out how we're going to survive here. Now, I found water. Fresh water up in the valley. I'll take a group in at first light. If you don't want to come, then find another way to contribute. Last week, most of us were strangers. But we're all here now. And God knows how long we're going to be here. But if we can't live together, we're going to die alone. As I said, it's that big message moment. And I mean that sincerely. It's reminding us to take a little part of the show and to live it it's in many ways the show's attempt to say you know this is more than the show take things out of this take things that you can think about in in the the days between episodes the weeks between episodes take something away from it now from that wonderful inspiring message i have to say the, the episode does end a little flat uh and I think disappointingly so. Take a listen. My father died in Sydney. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry too. It's just a weak end to the episode, in my opinion, into what is a quite good episode. He's dead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. Music finishes up. Piano chord and over the piano chord, black background, white letters that spell loss, the end. To me, it's just the episode doesn't end as much as it just runs out. It just runs out of stuff to say, and they say, okay, that's it. Good night, everybody. Go home. Uh... I don't know. I don't mean to take away from this wonderful episode. As I said, it's just a strange, weird ending that just peters out, ends with a whimper. Um, moving on to kind of the, the final segment of the podcast where I uh, take a look at Lostpedia to see uh, any bits and pieces that I haven't remembered myself or haven't put together or whatnot. Um, both this episode, which is Jack's first full flashback episode, and Jack's first flash-forward episode, Through the Looking Glass, 
are titled in reference to Alice in Wonderland books. Uh, White Rabbit and Through the Looking Glass, obviously, Alice in Wonderland connections. Uh, both of those episodes also have another similarity, according to Lostpedia. Both episodes, a survivor of Oceanic 815, Joanna in this one, Charlie in the other one. Uh, in both episodes, they drown, and the main character is, tries unsuccessfully to save them. Boone in this one, Desmond in the other one. Uh, let's see, Lostpedia also makes reference to, uh, although it isn't revealed till season six in The Last Recruit, this, as we talked about, is the first instance of the man in black in the series, uh, in the form of Christian. Uh, you know, we touched on that, but I thought it was worth mentioning. It is uh, the episode The Last Recruit. Um, and also, Lostpedia mentions that when Charlie runs to get Jack at the start of the episode, Charlie says he doesn't swim. However, it's later shown in the episode Greatest Hits that he was taught to swim as a child. He also, in that episode, claims to have won the title of Junior Swim Champion in Northern England. He also try, uh, successfully swims out of the Looking Glass Station in the Season 3 finale. Uh, and then Lost Petey mentions uh, that it's possible that Charlie was simply lying. I think any time that there's a quote-unquote continuity error that lying can give a plausible answer to, you assume that it's lying I'm, i mean you on one level you don't blame charlie for saying hey somebody's out there drowning i'm not the guy to go save her somebody else handle it i care but i don't care that much to me that's perfectly believable in the charlie character a character that i love but particularly in these early episodes you know self-centered recovering drug addict it's yeah he probably yes he's running to you know daddy in charge jack go save her i don't i don't know what to do i'm a mess go go save this person so i fully accept the the simply lying uh notion to things um and i suppose that's a rather inauspicious uh ending but uh with that i will start to wrap things up uh next week of course we'll be doing episode 106 house of the rising sun just a fabulous episode particularly with uh the the uh, discovery of, well we'll talk about that in that episode but a, a wonderful episode particularly as it fits into the mythology of the show so i hope that you certainly are uh, back for that i'd love to continue to get feedback from people you can say hello to me on twitter where i am looking back lost uh you could send an email or uh if you have an iphone or an ipod touch you can record a voice message that i could uh, play on the show and uh, then email that too, or just send your text email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. And uh, you can always visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And you can find the, uh, the podcast on iTunes. Just do a little search for Looking Back at Lost. And uh, with that, thank you very, very much for listening. I absolutely love doing the podcast, love hearing from people. Love uh, just simply revisiting the world of Lost. This has been episode 105, White Rabbit, and I will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. We were supposed to be rescued, but we weren't.